Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to another City Club of Cleveland Friday Forum. I'm Dan Maltrip, Chief Executive Officer at the City Club and also a proud member. It's May 15th, and as we take these first steps towards reopening the economy, your City Club is continuing with our virtual forums, still presenting our Friday forums here at the studios of 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream. They are our public media partner, and big thanks to them for helping us out. Now, dealing with and finding solutions to the public health and economic crisis brought on by the coronavirus pandemic has been challenging for all, including state lawmakers. When the Ohio House and Senate reconvened on May 4th after a nearly six-week absence, there were dozens of proposed bills from both Republicans and Democrats covering everything from paid family leave to the sales tax that people pay on personal protective equipment to increasing COVID-19 testing and contact tracing. However, the first bills to pass the Ohio House involved decreasing the penalties for violating the state's coronavirus pandemic order and limiting the authority of the Ohio Department of Health Director, Dr. Amy Acton. Today, we'll talk about what policy responses lawmakers in the Senate are planning and wanting to prioritize and whether both parties can work together and with Governor Mike DeWine in the, governor, in the government's response to help the state recover from the pandemic. Now, before I introduce our speakers, I'd like to take a moment to thank our generous members, sponsors, and donors who have been supporting our virtual forums. For a full list, you can visit cityclub.org slash thank you. And if you'd like to join them in supporting our work, you can make a contribution online or become a member at cityclub.org. Now to our speakers. Senator Nikki Antonio is serving her first term in the Ohio Senate. Senate District 23 is what she represents, and that includes Parma, Parma Heights, Brooklyn, Brook Park, Lakewood, Middleburg Heights, and Lindale, as well as parts of Cleveland's west side. She served four terms in the Ohio House of Representatives, representing the 13th House District, focusing greatly on workers' rights, education, equal rights for women and the LGBT community, health care, and the opioid crisis. Joining us as well is Senator Matt Dolan. He's serving his first term in the Ohio Senate, representing the 24th District, which represents uh, a, a lot of communities, just about every community on the outer edges of Cuyahoga County. He has served three terms in the Ohio House of Representatives, representing the 98th House District and is the former Chief Assistant Prosecutor for Geauga County and Assistant Attorney General for the State of Ohio. He's made significant contributions in the areas of tax reform and also served as sponsor and chief advocate for the Great Lakes Compact. Now, as in every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions. You can text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And you can also tweet them at the City Club. We will work them in. Senators Antonio and Dolan, we're so glad to have you. Welcome back to the City Club of Cleveland. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting us. It's great to have you. Senator Dolan, you're with Thank us. Thank you, Dan. Yep. Great to have you here. Senator Dolan. I am sorry. I... <laughs> oh, yeah. We're having a little trouble on the video end, but that's okay. These are, uh, yeah. you know, COVID problems, and if this is the worst of our day, then it's okay. Um, and even my two teenage expert technology sons couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all right. Um, I'm glad they're there to help. Senator Dolan, I want to start with you um, and start with the, the kind of news, the most recent news in terms of legislative responses to COVID had to do with uh, Senate Bill 1, which um, sort of came back from the House and having uh, 
where the House had House Republicans had tried to limit the authority of the governor and uh, and his public health director, his director of health, uh, Dr. Amy Acton. Um, what's what, what is actually likely to happen there? Senator Dolan? We seem to have lost Senator Dolan. We're going to work on getting him back. Senator Antonio, I wonder if you could, um, without speaking on behalf of Senate Republicans, of course, um, as a Democrat, how do you see what has happened with Senate Bill 1? Yes, um, I can definitely speak on behalf of of the Democrats. I can, um, as far as Senate Bill 1, uh, first of all, there are elements in Senate Bill 1 that already passed were included in part of the budget. Um, More more of the constructive elements of Senate Bill 1. Um, as this bill came over from the House, limiting the governor and director Acton, Democrats are not supportive of either one of those strikes. I think it speaks highly to our governor right now, the fact that um, in this time, uh, I appreciate the leadership that has been provided by both of those public servants. And um, I think it's because of their leadership, frankly, that our numbers are as low as they are. Now, having said that, unfortunately, what happens when you um, reduce a crisis or at least elements of a crisis, uh, you don't usually get applause or a ticker tape parade. What you get is pushback um, because it really doesn't look like the crisis people thought it was, um, which is part of what we're hearing from our colleagues across the aisle from the House. Um, I believe, I won't speak for my Republican colleagues, but having talked to a few, I believe that that bill will go nowhere in the Senate. And it's my hope that that bill go nowhere. I think we have much more critical things to be dealing with um, as a legislative body. Uh, funding education, making sure that there's testing and contact tracing and all the other elements that need to be happening as we are trying to open up the state of Ohio. We should be focused on those proactive policies. And thank you very much, Senator Nikki Antonio. Senator Dolan, do we have you back? Not yet. So, Nikki Antonio, what do you think the uh, the legislative priorities are, in fact, or ought to be right now, the higher priorities that you've said? You mentioned education. Well, Sure. Um, Funding education. um, I'm fully funding education, finding out exactly the strategies that we need. We know uh, children need broadband. We need they need access to online learning um, and all the equipment that goes with it all over the state. This is not just an urban. It's an urban and a rural issue. Um, We've talked about all a lot of things for years. And what COVID has done is just shed a huge spotlight and magnified all the issues that we've been talking about over the years, such as access to broadband, access for all of our children to be able to have a level playing field for education, um, and fully funding at an appropriate level. Um, We need to be providing relief for our local governments who are struggling under the strain of reduced money coming into them, the reduced revenues, as well as um, different kinds of issues and elements that um, the crisis is giving with each local government. And so um, we need to be focused on that. And I started by saying, um, we do not have enough testing. We can't wait. And right now our testing is seems to be 
only happening when there's um, an outbreak or a crisis in a certain area. So we're, instead of being proactive, we're being reactive. That's a problem. Um, it's a problem in terms of good public policy and good public health policy. It's absolutely a problem for the health and well-being of folks, especially in congregate living, in our prisons and in our nursing homes. Um, I guess I could probably go on and on and on, um, but just to say that there is a huge list of things that the legislature could be and should be focused on right now. Senator Nikki Antonio represents the uh, 23rd State Senate District here in um, here in Ohio, and uh, we'll be getting Senator Dolan back on shortly. Senator Antonio, I want to circle back to something that we spoke about a week ago with Eric Gordon, uh, the CEO of Cleveland Metro School District. And one of the main things that he is concerned with, um, besides the budget cuts that are inevitably, that seem to be yeah. coming here for the current fiscal year and are seen as probably inevitable for the f- next fiscal year, have to do the the thing he the other thing he's most concerned with has to do with the digital divide. He told us that he had he that on behalf that the school district had purchased nine thousand hotspots for families without internet broad, broadband internet access, and uh, and that's just for a year. And it's obviously a band aid solution. What role should the state be playing right now in uh, providing resources to bridge the digital divide? You know, it's interesting, um, our capital budget is sort of on hold right now, and I know in Cleveland there was a wonderful capital project to be able to, Digital C, to be able to provide broadband access to a lot of communities in in those areas where their access is really tough because of low income. We need to start looking at broadband access as a utility. It's got to be a public utility, um, like uh, electric and gas, water, everything water um (laughs) look i as a child experienced when a utility was cut off we didn't have gas our gas was cut off when my mother couldn't make the payment one month Um, she was working but she had a low-income job and i know what it's like to try to pretend life is normal to get ready for school to do all the things you need to do when you don't have your electricity and one time it was our gas in the middle of winter off And so um, for families that are trying to do what's best for their kids with their education, as as Eric Gordon pointed out, um, it should not be up to how much resources you have, whether or not your child can do their homework. We have to do better. Um, We have to make it accessible. And again, in rural areas, it means there needs to be new strategies. Um, because I've, I have colleagues who explain what it's like for them to go out, up on a mountain, to drive up to the mountaintop, to be able to even use their cell phone. And so um, we know then that means that the kids in their community are not able to participate in the same way that kids that have access to broadband. Um, that's one of the equalizers we need to address, and we need to figure out all kinds of solutions, because one size is not going to fit all clearly across the state, but we could do better. If uh, if we're to do that, I mean, the, and, you know, the you mentioned earlier the capital budget uh, and a request from Digital C to provide for, uh, for broadband internet to communities across greater Cleveland. And mm-hmm. um, is there support on both sides of the aisle for this kind of response? 
Well, common sense would tell us there should be. Um, and certainly we've had the conversations. This is, we've had the conversations for years. Um, in, I've served on finance since I've been in the legislature. We have had those conversations, but the conversations have not been backed up with the full force of, um, of revenues into those areas. I don't think we can wait any longer to act. We've had a lot of discussions. It's time to act. We have Senator Dolan back from the 24th State Senate District and now joining us by phone. Senator Dolan, good to have you joining the program now. Thank you. I apologize. I'm not sure what was happening, but I'm glad I'm back on. We're going to we're just just going to roll with it. Um Senator Antonio and I have just been speaking about the bridging the digital divide, um an issue that Eric Gordon from the Cleveland Metro School District uh, was really focused on last week in addition to his focus on and his concern about uh, pending budget cuts from the state for school districts. Um, the digital divide, how do you and your colleagues uh, in the Republican caucus feel about directing state resources, perhaps through the capital budget or other means, to bridge the divide? So historically, the we've looked at broadband expansion as hopefully we could have a private-public sector relationship in bringing broadband to the rural areas uh, you know, deals with the build-out of a system. The urban areas, maybe we don't have to build out a system. We can bring in, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, it's, it's a cellular system where you, you, don't, you uh, place it in various parts in the city and people can tag, tag into that. Um, so what the Conan virus has done is, is recognize, boy, when we are dependent on our K-12 education through online learning, the disparity in the ability for technology to be available, you know, clearly shows its face. So I can say that that it, it, it is clearly an issue we are going to address. We are looking at a capital budget probably in the fall. And do we now decide that making that investment is the right thing to do? However, there's still always the issue of, you know, you build a system with the hopes that, you know, private sector wants to build a system that they hope that can have a return uh, to pay for the, the building out of the system. And it is just extremely difficult to get a full system into some of these rural areas. So there's actually a business right here in Cleveland who is coming up with technology that you don't necessarily have to build an entire system, but I'm going to, I'm going to, as, as you know, trying to get me on this call, my technology is <laughs> weak. But there is the ability to allow for internet connection without having to build an entire new system. Certainly. Um, Senator so, Dolan, I want to ask you, it sounds like what you're, with the capital budget having been somewhat delayed, and you've just said that you believe that the capital budget would be released in the fall, which is probably good news for everybody who submitted a proposal and is advocating for uh, for one expenditure or another. It sounds like what you're saying is that the legislature is going to evaluate capital budget requests based on new knowledge and new understanding of what community needs are, That meaning that things that have been revealed through the COVID pandemic uh, may be a higher priority now. So pretty much you, you, you stole my thought. That's exactly 
the, the capital budget on the Senate side was was worked on, and we we knew where we where we wanted to advocate for these these non-GRF dollars, these bonded dollars to go. And now I think we are going to revisit it and decide: is there facilities, is there infrastructure improvements that we can make with these bonded dollars that you know the COVID uh, virus brought out brought out a weakness, um, or if the new normal is going to require all kinds of different ways to operate there may be a lot of uh think of the colleges that they may have to reconfigure their their dorms reconfigure their uh their cafeterias so yeah i think there's going to be a lot of revisiting on what exactly we can use these dollars that will have the biggest impact for this new normal we're talking today at the City Club Friday Forum with Senator Matt Dolan of the 24th State Senate District, which wraps around the outside edge of Cuyahoga County, and State Senator Nikki Antonio of the 23rd State Senate District, which represents communities on the west side of Cuyahoga County. If you'd like to join us with a question for either senator or both senators, text that question to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And if you're watching the live stream, just go ahead and refresh your page so that you get the current view. There were some technical issues that we've alluded to earlier, and if you just refresh your page, that'll alleviate that problem. Matt Dolan, uh, or Nikki Antonio, I'm sorry, you wanted to jump in uh, on that last point that Senator Dolan raised. Yes, just to say that um, Senate Democrats are are eager to have that participate in, in that discussion and have that conversation, and I really hope that we will uh, be a part of it because the capital budget will really serve as, it it always serves as a stimulus, but I think this year, because those dollars go back to local communities, this year more than ever, um, those small projects usually, but there's some big ones as well, um, will really be important for the communities. So I'm um, very encouraged by hearing Senator Dolan address this. And um, as a member of the Finance Committee, I'm looking forward to being a part of those uh, strategies. Look at this bipartisanship in action. Uh, Senator Dolan, uh, Nikki Antonio, Senator Antonio just mentioned local communities, and uh, you were one of the chief uh, sponsors of Senate Bill 310, directing more funding back to municipalities. I wanted to give you an opportunity to explain what's going on there and what local municipalities should expect. Okay, thanks, Dan. So, um, throughout this, the federal government has, uh, we are working with the federal government on trying to make sure that the necessary funds are available to deal with the crisis. Um, one of the areas is the ability for local governments to have funds initially to deal with COVID-related expenses. So there are some big numbers we're dealing with. So the state of Ohio has uh, roughly $2 billion in which to distribute to local governments. $775 million of that is going to go to six jurisdictions because they're over 500000 Cuyahoga County, Franklin County, Hamilton County, Montgomery, and Summit County, and the city of Columbus. Those dollars will, will flow directly from the federal government to those six jurisdictions. The remaining $1.2 billion is the state's responsibility to distribute those dollars out to uh, those jurisdictions. Senate Bill 310, we took $350 million of the remaining $1.2 and distributed them um, mimicking our local government funds. So that was the smoothest and quickest way to get it out. The reason we haven't allocated the entire amount is because the 
U.S. Treasury guidance on how local governments can use these dollars is limited to COVID-related expenses, direct expenses. Uh, it is not for any revenue loss. It is not for revenue replacement. So our thought was there is every community has costs associated with this or they're going to have costs. Buying disinfectant, uh, buying be- better equipment for their law enforcement first responders, um, get- getting extra work- health care, health workers into your community centers to help clean it up. All those are, are necessary and those those expenses can be covered. We are hoping that working with the U.S. Congress and with the U.S. Treasury that we can get a little bit more flexibility for the local government. So as as we distribute the remaining dollars, they have a little more flexibility on how they can use it if they need it to enhance payroll, if we can use it for for revenue loss during this short period of time. So, you know, the immediate help as soon as it passes out of the House will be there for COVID related expenses. Big picture, we're hoping that we can help them with, uh, you know, the, the devastating losses to their revenue as a result of, you know, the economy being shut down for eight weeks. Senator Dolan, this uh, this moment has revealed some uh, schisms and, and rifts inside the GOP. Um, do you feel confident that your colleagues in the Republican caucus and in on the House side will, in fact, take up Senate Bill 310 in the way that you and your colleagues on the Senate side intend? Yeah, uh, I mean, we had our first hearing there uh, just this week. Um, yeah, I think I think there is some you know, obvious schisms, but I think uh, most folks understand that local governments are hurting right now and getting money back into the community so that we can help open up the government. Certainly, you don't want to be laying off fire firemen or policemen or first responders during this pandemic. So these, these dollars, um, hopefully, you'll know, give local governments comfort that they don't have to do that. Um, you know, the the issue with the division in our party is real, you know, but I, I believe it comes from the the idea that this pandemic is is uh, you know for us here in Cuyahoga County or in urban suburban areas is very front and center, and we're dealing with it every day. And we all know somebody who's been impacted, and and we. Uh, we, we recognize in, in the way our lifestyles are, we are we live closer together. Uh, there's just more people. Other parts of, of Ohio perhaps haven't experienced the pandemic like we have. And so they're coming to it with a different perspective that, hey, this isn't as bad as we thought or as you told us. And that cuts two ways. One, it's not as bad because you live in a rural area and you, you have natural social distancing. And two, is because of the extraordinary efforts that we have had to undertake to make certain that our healthcare systems throughout the state were able and ready to deal with those who get the virus, um, we had to shut down. And so the numbers that everyone wants to point to, oh, well, when this first came out, they point to those numbers and say that never happened. Well, it never happened because of the, these extraordinary efforts, which, by the way, occurred across the planet. Uh, you know, Ohio you know, did not Dolan, act uniquely. In the very first program that we did about COVID in, uh, in mid-March with Dr. Akram Boutros, Terry Allen, Merle Gordon, and um, 
and, and others about the public health response, what was actually happening, that's what was said, was that if we're successful, people will say that we overreacted. And um, apparently that's what you're seeing and what we're all seeing. We're going to move to questions uh, from our listening and viewing audience in a moment. If you have a question, please text it to 330-541-5794. Or if you're on Twitter, tweet it at the City Club, and we will work them into the program. That number, again, to text your question is 330-541-5794. And if you're having trouble with your—if you're watching on the live stream and you're having trouble, just refresh your feed, and it should take care of itself. And we apologize for those technical difficulties. There's technical difficulties across the planet, as you've said. Um, I want to ask you both about elections. Uh, the One of the big things that happened, of course, March 17th, we were scheduled to have our primary across the state of Ohio. And uh, at the 11th hour and 30 minutes, it was delayed or sort of extended. Our voting was extended for a full month or so. What do you both want to see happen in November as we prepare for the general election? And it does seem as though we ought to prepare right now. Senator Antonio, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think the big word here is prepare. Uh, we were not prepared. We were caught off guard. And there was a lot of confusion as a result, um, right down to the wire, as you've already mentioned, and even beyond. Um, we are working, uh, Democrats are working on both chambers to come up with some recommendations and legislation, frankly, that would address our elections in a way that makes it possible for people to be um, able to do their constitutional duty, um, which we hope everyone will want to do, and um, all of those that are registered to vote and also registered to vote. Um, but look now and prepare now we can't change the entire system. There is not time. If I were queen of the world, there are all kinds of flaws and things that we could do. But we want to take a realistic look this year. In the next few weeks, we we're going to be introducing some legislation to address some of those critical areas um, of vote by mail, of not having such a clunky back and forth. Get you know, Be able to either request a, ba a ballot online and we know there's some there's some bipartisan support for that. Um, mail have that ballot mailed out with a uh, paid envelope so that you don't have to provide the postage for that. And some other things to just really clarify um, elections and be prepared for in person if that's possible, but also be prepared if it's not. What does it look like if 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 we really see that we can't? Um, we have the ability, we're, we have some very smart people in the state of Ohio. We can do this if we're motivated to really make every vote count. So I think it's possible. I think we have time to do that. Senator Dolan? Well, um, I would agree. I don't think there's anyone that doesn't want every vote to count. So the, the question is, what do you see? Well, I would hope that we, we have in-person voting on November 3rd. And I think that decision needs to be made sooner than later. And I think it needs to be based on the ability for individuals to remain healthy if they go and vote in person. So with an in-person voting, we can't, we can't forget that Ohio makes it incredibly easy to vote. You have 28 days in which to uh, mail in your ballot. You have numerous times throughout those, the, the 28 days leading up to the election to go to your board of elections. And, and vote during the day, on weekends as we get closer. So I, I, 
I don't want to get lost in the shuffle of the idea that that the way we operate our elections is somehow undermining the vote. Uh, if we have to go all mail, all mail in voting, I don't think that undermines the vote. So, um, and so, if if there's any discussion that some some way to vote is is less fraudulent than another, I, I think that discussion has to stop. Well, yeah, I, I think, think we'll, I think we all oh. we all have seen the certainly, and we had the you know we spoke with the the CEO of the League of Women Voters a couple of weeks ago, who also reiterated that fraud is just not uh, as according to all right. the studies, there is not a big issue with fraud uh, in America at in and balloting today. It does it so does the, it's not that it doesn't occur, that, but it's not a huge issue. Exactly. So the issue going for November third is how do we conduct a an election in this. Uh, pandemic and the level of pandemic, the level of medicines available, the will determine, uh, um, I, I think, how we vote. But whatever it is, if it's in person with our traditional 28 days, if it's all all mail in only, we need to make it as convenient as possible. So I look forward to reading Antonio Senator Antonio's uh, legislation. But I would hope that the focus remains on. That that every vote matters, and we want everyone to Absolutely. vote. Access, Absolutely, access as a yeah. as a primary value does seem uh, like every, something everybody could get behind. Um, clearly, though, the whether if there's any change, and likely at minimum there would be changes to provide for safety equipment for for election day workers, and um, that's going to require additional resources. Uh, is the state Senate ready to allocate those resources to ensure access for free and fair elections in November? Well, the easy answer to that is yes. The the, the more nuanced <laughs> answer is, well, what, what kind of numbers are we talking? What does our budget look like? I, I don't know when I was unable to hear whether you talked about the budget, but not yet. Those will those will all be <laughs> part of the of the discussion going forward uh, on how to best uh, conduct the elections. And w- we know in our, in the way we we made the change on the fly for this election, we we did allocate seven million dollars for the continuation of of this election. So clearly, there is money that's going to be needed. Uh, you know, how much? Do we have it, and how will it be used? Will be the will be the question. Senator Antonio, let's get to some questions from the audience, if sure. we may. Um, sure. This is uh, let's. Uh, one of our listeners has asked about both your views on school voucher payments during this time of budget cuts. Senator Antonio, we'll start with you. Voucher payments. Um, well, we have been. It's interesting, we haven't visited this issue in a while um, because we've been focused elsewhere, but sh- clearly that uh, those vouchers and expanding the vouchers, which is really um, a debate that I think we had a lot of last year, more than anything, uh, I have of a mind not to expand them. Um, vouchers vouchers are still a part of the fabric of our of our educational system in Ohio because they've been embedded into it at this point. Um, But we need to be very considerate of um, what expansion does for our public school uh, funding. And the bottom line of all of this is I I don't want to see us have 
private schools and, and voucher parents fighting in, 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 in a battle with public school parents and, and our kids, because at, at the core it's about our kids and educating our kids. We should be able to figure out how to appropriately fully fund education for all of our children, no matter where they're going to school and with the, with the lion's share of the funding going for our public schools. Senator Dolan? So understand that the cuts that have been made so far are all based on fiscal year 20. I have a plan into the governor that would change the way he, he cut the uh, public schools, of which we're still working on. So when you talk about cutting vouchers, you're talking about fiscal year 20, and those dollars have already been dispersed. And so there the question looking forward is what are we going to do in fiscal year 21? Uh, and Senator Antonio is correct. We, we don't have an expanded voucher program uh, right now. We, in, in 197, the, the bill we passed in late March took us back to, to the, the system that existed last year and will remain through the school year next year. So I suspect as you go forward and we, we start analyzing all the, the numbers, I think you're going to see across the board, uh, you know, uniform cuts. So we just have to be understand. I know it's confusing, but fiscal year 20 is the only areas that have been cut so far. So there was no there was no cut to be made in voucher payments since they've all been made. This uh, another question here. We'll start with Senator Dolan. Um, the, during COVID-19, essential workers, many essential workers have relied on public transit, and of course we all rely on essential workers so that our lives can continue and people can stay safe. With social distancing and lower ridership, what can be done to expand, it, to expand funding for public transit in Ohio? Okay, so um, pr- prior to the pandemic, we, did, we were able to increase uh, funding to public transportation from $30 million a year to $70 million a year. Um, and so we were we were we were on a pace there to make certain that the importance of public transportation is known and the, the system is uh, able to deliver. Obviously, the pandemic came and and is is altered everything. As I mentioned before, the federal government has has allocated a number of dollars. In the case of public transportation, they are directly funding uh, urban transit systems. So um, I'm blanking on the number now, but there's hundreds of millions of dollars that are going to go to urban transit systems directly from the federal government to the uh, RTAs, the CODAs in Columbus, and and other urban areas. The rural transportations are going to have their money directly funded through the Department of Transportation. Uh, The legislature will not be involved in either one of them. The monies that the transportation uh, entities are getting has a lot less restrictions on than local government and the education dollars had. So uh, the the hope is that they can use these dollars to make sure that traveling on public transportation is safe. Obviously, they're going to have to have a whole cleaning regime, but they are also going to be able to use some of that money to fill in the lack of affairs because people weren't working or going to school. Obviously, when you open the economy, you got to make sure that the transportation to those jobs and to schools and to healthcare is available. So that's why I, uh, that's why they're getting their money directly, 
and so they can hit the ground running uh, starting now. Nikki Antonio? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I said, or I think when we started this conversation was that this this crisis, uh, the COVID-19 crisis has put a giant spotlight on issues that have really always been um, areas where we needed to make improvements. And clearly, Ohio has um, underfunded public transportation for all the years I was in the legislature until, and uh, Senator Dolan is correct, is the first time we actually made a, a robust investment in this last transportation budget. I was very proud of the work we did. Um, so now, uh, going forward, um, it will be partially required for them to use those funds. And as Senator Dolan pointed out, um, the definitions of how they use those funds is a little less, um, is a little more flexible. Um, the restrictions on our local governments and our schools and anywhere else with some of that federal money um, that says it has to be directly COVID related. If a loss in revenue isn't COVID related right now, I don't know what is. Just like I'm gonna jump back to the education discussion real quick and say that I was disappointed to see our education budgets cut at all. Um, I know it's tough to try to figure out where exactly to make those cuts. But I think um, that would have been a place to take us to the end of June uh, to tap into the rainy day funds um, just for that amount of money rather than take it from the schools that are already um, underfunded uh, to be able to do that. So I was disappointed. I don't want to clean out the fund, but I think that was a point where some of those funds could have been used there. We're going to have to go forward and figure out how to live with less um, revenue coming in in the long run anyway. So uh, just wanted to throw that in as well. Um, another question has come in just in, about the reopen that has that is occurring kind of as we speak. I'd like to we'd like to hear from both of you on what you're hearing from business owners about their experiences, their concerns, whether or not they're reopening, what their um, what their what their hopes and and are and what they feel they can need in terms of support from the state of Ohio. Matt Dolan. Uh, they need clarity. Uh, they uh, m most of the businesses I've talked to, and I'm 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 just hesitant to say all because I can't think of any now, but hmm. I'm sure someone didn't. But most of the business I talked to said they get it. They understand they're not going to be able to operate the way they used to operate. Uh, give me clarity as to what I can do and can't do and allow me to open. And um, I think uniformly, I think people understood that getting clarity took some time because we weren't sure what the proper protocols were going to be. So what we can do as a state legislature is, is to make certain that whatever guidelines are being instituted today by the governor, that if, if we make adjustments to them, that there's plenty of time to inform everyone what the adjustments are um, because they, every adjustment costs money or is going to have some impact. So I would say uh, most people understood they didn't like it. They understood. Let me open. Give me clarity, and I'll follow the rules. Nikki Antonio? And that's... Um... And that's true for for the owners of the businesses, for for folks who are um, 
who are trying to figure out how to open those businesses up. Um, we've also heard from workers, uh, from workers who are very concerned whether or not the place that they're returning to will be safe, um, whether or not their health is going to be um, at risk or not. And so clarity in the guidelines, absolutely for sure. But we also need clarity with our JFS um, department on whether or not there's gonna be some, some new reporting guidelines where employers are gonna be turning in employees who don't feel that it's safe enough to come back to work. Um, that's something that I think is, is critically important. We have an opportunity to, um, yes, absolutely get our people back to work, get our businesses up and running again. It's the, the foundational um, of all of our economics, right? Especially in our communities. But at the same time, how we do it, I think is so important. And so from, for all those workers that are concerned um, about what is the right time for them to return and how much information, personal information, do they have to share with their employer now um, to be able to explain that maybe there are reasons why they don't feel safe coming back. It's something I think we have to figure out. I'm hoping that we take the path um, that shows the best of us rather than we turn this into penalizing and um, reporting people for not showing up for work when they absolutely have a good rationale for doing it. Perhaps they're even following the guidelines that were given by our top medical expert uh, director. And so that needs to be taken into consideration as well. We're talking with State Senators Nikki Antonio and Matt Dolan today at the City Club Friday Forum. I'm Dan Malthrop. If you have a question for either senator or both, text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet it at the City Club and we'll work it in. One of the ironies of the COVID crisis is the impact it's had on the health, the economic health of hospitals, Senator Antonio. Mm -hmm. Is there a focus mm -hmm. on how to help rural and disproportionate share hospitals given the extraordinary financial impact caused by the coronavirus? You know, Dan, this is um, this is an issue. It's it's you know, I live in a community that lost their their community beloved hospital in Lakewood um, a couple of years ago, and we've seen this taking place across across the state, across the country. Small community hospitals um, being being either overtaken or closed in more con consolidation. Um, so it was, again, already an issue before COVID-19 hit. Um, we're just starting to hear about the difficulties that some of these hospitals are having. And I know there's a there's an extreme battle of advocacy going on in Toledo for a community hospital there, trying to keep it open uh, or open it up again, I think, and um, get folks so that the community right around it is... Um, is served it's not a conversation at this moment we've had in the legislature i think as we go forward and again talk about uh, budget concerns it has to be something that's going to be on the table uh, for discussion senator dolan so again the uh, relationship with the state and federal government here is important uh, the hospitals have received two tranches of dollars and they're going to get a third uh, from the the CARES Act and the Family First Act. So 
there's there's two issues with the hospitals is they they undertook an extraordinary effort to reshape their hospitals in a way that they could handle this virus. And that included from the extraordinary efforts of creating auxiliary hospitals, of which in, in the Cleveland area uh, we have two, and to staff up their individuals and make sure that they all have the proper PPE, which, again, we were all caught flat-footed that we did not have that. So the cost to doing those for the hospitals is going to be, you know, whether it's dollar for dollar, I don't know, but a lot of that cost is going to be paid for uh, through these CARES dollars. Where the hospitals throughout the state are feeling a real pinch is that in order to get ready for the virus, we had to shut down all other elected or day-to-day healthcare procedures and uh, visits. That is where they lost a great deal of their normal revenue. So they couldn't operate as a normal hospital while they were preparing for the virus. Now they can operate as a as a regular hospital, regular doctor's visits, and because of their efforts, we are ready if as we open up, which is likely to happen, we're going to see an increase in those who have the virus, the system now can can absorb both. Uh, the so you know so the hit was was real. There, we're hopefully we can get that they can get their revenues back. The other issue, of course, is going to be on us as individuals to have faith that going into the hospital for a non-COVID-19 related injury or illness or regular checkup is safe. Uh, because if if the consumer doesn't feel safe, then obviously the revenues aren't going to come back. And that is true for every business. So maybe in the true spirit of, of the city club, I'm going to debate mm-hmm. an issue that, that Senator Antonio raised. The, the, there isn't an employer out there that, does, and I'm not suggesting Senator Antonio said this, I, I'm just, that does not understand that if they don't make their business safe for their employees and for their customers, they are not going to operate. If 20% of your workforce is sick, you can't operate. If, if 20% of your customers don't feel safe in your store, your business, your, your plant, you don't operate. So there is an incentive to make certain that we are creating safe places of work. There is also a disincentive that we have to face, is that the federal government, for all the money that I've talked about on this call, they have also said that anyone who's on employment gets an extra $600 per week in their check through July 30th. And, you know, we could have a larger economic debate about service jobs and all that. But the reality is some folks are saying it is beneficial for me to stay on unemployment rather than go back. Um, so employers are you know, we as a state legislature are going to have to face that issue. Um, one of the things we did early on is we waived the condition that a person who's seeking unemployment has to show that they're trying to find work it may be time to revisit that as jobs open up. And I'm not saying today is the day, but we ought to look at if jobs are opening up and we do see that employers are struggling to find workers, we may have to uh, put put that uh, requirement back in so that people are incentivized to go and find work. Nikki Antonio. Yeah, so um, what the people that we've heard from in my office – 
I have not gotten a call from anyone who said, you know, I'm, uh, I, I am motivated to just stay at home and collect those checks. What we've heard from people is that they're still waiting for checks. They're waiting, especially the 1099 workers um, who weren't a part of the system to begin with. So this is all unusual, but Ohio is such an antiquated um, unemployment system that they still don't. People are going two months now without any money coming in. It's not their fault. Uh, they were hardworking people, a lot of people with two and three jobs. Um, over and over again, uh, often we hear that people are just not motivated to work and whether it's because of COVID-19 or $600 a month coming from the federal government, when the reality is the majority of people that I know that we come into contact work that live in the state of Ohio um, are, are actually motivated to provide for their families and make a contribution to their family and to the community. And so I think what we have to do is figure out the best way forward to be able to make room for those exceptions, for those people that might have a reason to stay home, a fear about going into an unsafe environment. We have to also, I've asked for whistleblower protection for people to be able to call and say, I'm ready to go back to work, but it does not feel safe in my business. And maybe it's back back office kinds of work that no customers are ever going to see, but the workers. And we had some folks in Amazon that walked off the job because it wasn't safe for them in their in their work environment. So I think again that we one size doesn't fit all. These are issues that we're not going to solve that we've been struggling with before COVID. And fortunately, after COVID, we'll still probably be trying to figure them out. But I think it's an opportunity for us to, to really listen to the concerns of both the business owners and the workers and to be able to provide um, a work environment that is safe, um, that gets people back to work. But I, and that's also expansive, giving some people some room um, for, for their own personal health protection as well. One of the issues that this is also revealed has to do with access to health insurance. Um, many COVID doesn't really care if you're insured, after all. Um, and uh, one of our listeners has asked, um, "Do you support HB 292, Ohio's Medicaid for Medicare for All bill?" Nikki. Yes. Brief answer, Matt Dolan. I, I, um, no. I, I was in committee last this past week, and Senator Dolan knows, and I. I said, if if we had um, if we had Medicare for all, if we had Medicare for all right now, um, there would not be concerns for people. I think um, there's still confusion when you have COVID. When are you supposed to go? When not? And people are terrified. They're hearing horror stories about um, huge hospital bills um, for intensive care that they don't know how they're going to pay on the other side. And so. Um, Something else that, Dan, you brought up was people, um, whether or not they feel safe um, going to the hospital, even for, um, you know, rudimentary kinds of surgeries and things like that. Um, people are hesitating and waiting. Part of the reason is because they're not quite sure about the safety of the hospital. The other part of the reason is the reason they always stay home because they don't think they can afford the bill on the other side. Senator Dolan, uh, I heard a no from you earlier, um, I, and I want to give you an opportunity to expand that answer. Okay, yeah. No, I would not support 
a bill. Um, I admit I haven't read it, but if, if, if it's Medicare for all, um, there are lots of issues with our our healthcare system, and a, a lot of them can be taken care of at the state level with out-of-pocket billing. We, we, we're dealing with that. Transparency and pricing, we're dealing with that. Uh, telehealth, uh, allowing people the ability to see their doctors without having to miss a day of work, without having to um, you know, put their kids in daycare or find babysitter for them. So um, I, I just am not a believer that you solve that problem by turning it into one big system uh, when revenues are a big, big issue. So we, we are addressing the healthcare issue. I, I will say I, I don't need to be a cheerleader for the for a lot of the healthcare companies, but um, they all they they stepped up. They waived copays. Um, they. they made it as easily financially as, as, you know, with, they're running a business too, but as they could to get people to get to see a doctor if they had the symptoms. Senator Dolan, this is a very city club question for you, uh, in, by which I mean it's, it's relevant to your work, but it kind of comes out of left field here from a listener. I've been a huge fan of the Great Lakes Compact since its inception. However, since the lake level of Lake Erie is so high, there's so much damage along the coast, it is time to reassess the comp. Is it time to reassess the compact? I think the questioner is asking, like, do we actually need all this water right now? Well, um, you know, it's a fair question because in all the years I dealt with it, we never dealt with in terms of looking at the volume of the water in the lake and deciding what is the proper volume and we could sell excess. So, so the the, the, the you know, most honest answer is I've never I've never dealt with that. However. The reason we wouldn't want to do that is because having the water at whatever level is an economic advantage for the Great Lakes region. And um, the dependence on water to operate a lot of uh, manufacturing and, and businesses still exists. And other areas of our country just don't have the water, or if you're projecting out 10, 20 years, they don't, they may not be confident that the water is going to be there. So if we decide to give exceptions out to the compact, you know, we delay what the ultimate goal is, and that is to make the Great Lakes region uh, an economic engine using one of our great natural resources as a tool, and that is uh, the abundance of fresh water. Senator Antonio, any point of view on that? Just that um, I absolutely agree and that um, we need to also just make sure that we put the resources in to keep it clean. Um, I have um, done debate with our Army Corps of Engineers for years. They want to dredge and then they want to drop back right at our intakes where our fresh water is taken out that we drink. Um, so we just need to be really vigilant about um, making sure all of the efforts um, that are in place to really keep keep the lake as clean as possible as well. Senator Nikki Antonio represents Ohio's 23rd Senate District, the west side of Cuyahoga County. Matt Dolan represents the edges of Cuyahoga County in this the 24th District. And I want to thank you both for your time today. Thank you.
Thank you for having us. And Matt, especially to you, you. thank you for your persistence in, 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 in your, in your efforts to join us. And I want to thank you as well for listening and being a part of our conversation with our state senators from Cuyahoga County presented virtually. Thanks to our partners at IdeaStream. Our virtual forums are sponsored by the Cleveland Foundation, the George Gunn Foundation, Key Bank, Nordson, and the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, along with PNC and additional support from the Char and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation, as well as many more generous members, sponsors, and donors listed on our website at cityclub.org slash thank you. You can join them in supporting our work when you make a contribution online or you become a member at cityclub.org. You can join us online at cityclub.org on Wednesday as our friend Rick Jackson here of IdeaStream talks with neighborhood leaders about what they're doing to reopen safely. And if you have other topics or ideas about topics or speakers we should feature, please get in touch. You can find contact information again at cityclub.org. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay strong, stay healthy, stay close in your hearts if you can't be close in person. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.